the Patrick O'Donnell Socialist Republican Forum was delighted and honoured indeed to have the eminent historian Fergal McCluskey deliver a lecture on the treaty, the negotiations and its aftermath. Now, we're equally delighted to have a discussion chaired by political activist Patricia Campbell reflecting on the century that followed the treaty which solidified partition of this island. Patricia is joined in this discussion by three young political activists, Niall Bowen from the Toronto People's Doll, Graham Harrington, Communist Party of Ireland, and Kevin Elinchy from the Patrick Socialist Republican Forum. So sit back and listen as Patricia begins by speaking to Graham Harrington. Graham, given that you live furthest from the border, you know, you're as far away from the border as one can be. And I'd like to ask you uh, how you see the impact of partition in Ireland. Yeah, thanks, Patricia. Um, thanks for having me on as well. Uh, first uh, point to make would be um, that the British ruling class never commits a useless crime. Uh, no matter what it is, whether it's a massacre here, a genocide there, uh, a bit of torture here, or kidnapping here, it's there to serve a political interest. It's not done just because it's evil. It's there to, to serve um, a particular strategy. Um, I think particularly with the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday coming up in a few weeks, uh, it's important to remember that. I think that's um, nowhere more true than when you look at partition and you look at the, the treaty that enshrined partition. Um, I think you have to look at partition not as as a sole event, but as part of a process of events. So the way I would see it is that the treaty and the partition that came from the, the Government of Ireland Act 1920 was the linchpin of counter-revolution in Ireland. Uh, what I mean by that is, is that I think the preceding couple of years uh, can justly be called a revolution in the sense that not just the, the military campaign, but, you know, 1916 and the, the Black and Tan War and everything, but also uh, the massive uh, upswing in terms of labour militancy and uh, working class mobilisation, uh, which you saw um, breaking out initially with uh, Padre O'Donnell himself organising the workers in the Monaghan Lunatic Asylum. Um, you also had others, for example, in my own city, you had the Cork Harbour Soviet, which in many ways was more so a workplace occupation, but even still the fact that they used the phrase Soviet was uh, very in indicative of the type of politics be uh, behind them. Uh, obviously, most famously in Limerick, uh, where the Limerick Soviet, where the workers in Limerick under the Limerick Trades Council took over and ran the city, printed their own money um, as part of a general strike against the British Declaration of Martial Law. Um, you also had the general strikes against conscription in 1918 and the general strike against um, for calling for the release of Republican prisoners uh, in Mount Joy, which really demonstrated the working class contribution to uh, the Irish Revolution, um, which made those in the independence movement, uh, if you like the petty bourgeois element, really yeah. nervous about where this was heading. Uh, one of the first thing set up by the, the new Free State after it was set up um, was a division of the Free State Army called the Special Infantry Corps, 
which is basically set up by someone who's unfortunately a Cork man, Michael Collins, um, who set up, and its role was effectively uh, to put down uh, stuff like land occupation, cattle drives and strikes that were going on all throughout the country during the, the breakdown of what they would see as the, the breakdown of law and order uh, yeah. during what they call the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, Graham, um, I'm, I'm thinking, and, and you know, that's a really good history of what's happened immediately post um, partition or a few years after the country was partitioned. Uh, Connolly talked about a carnival reaction north and south of the border. Now, there are people who have this view that everything was hunky dory in the south, in the 26 counties. And that the people of the north, for example, suffered greatly. But actually, there was a carnival of reaction on both sides of the border. And I'm just wondering how you see that impacting on the people in Cork or in the people in, in the 26 counties. Yeah, well, like the, the rest of the 26 counties, um, Cork wasn't immune. It was still run by the same capitalist class that, that was running the, the, the rest of the state. Like, um, for example, someone whose anniversary occurred recently was Tyg Berry, who was an alderman in a Cork corporation, uh, very much a Republican in the, the Connolly tradition. And uh, he was killed in Ballykindler and Thurman Camp. And one of his... Uh, contributions was to look kind of like Leo Mellows did at the, the national uh, struggle through the lens of class struggle essentially viewing it as one and the same um, for example I mentioned the, the Cork Harbour Soviet for example so in many ways what you kind of saw was in Cork as, as you did elsewhere Cork was largely a city around that time ran by what they called the merchant princes which largely would have been you know the likes of the big uh, families like the Murphys, the Barrys and so on, who uh, even today would have very close ties to the, to the Fine Gael party and so on. And you would have other areas like, say, in West Cork and in County Cork. Um, you know, a lot of big, uh, big farmers, big, you know, what they call the ranchers, uh, very much the, the base for uh, groups like Coman and Noel and, and new uh, Free State. Um, and it should be said, what they called, you know, the the people at the big houses were never in, in, in support of uh, actual independence because their class interest was always uh, basically to carve out for themselves a certain niche on the fringes of the British Empire. It was never to break the connection with England in the sense that Wolf Tone meant it. Yeah, yeah. So no doubt there was a, a democratic deficit. And, and I would just like to speak to Kiva about the democratic deficit in the north, um, you know, the lack of democracy post-partition in, in the north, Kiva. Yes, Patricia. So um, unionist misgovernment is well documented in the north and the unionist government have been well known to mismanage the several powers that have been devolved to them. We have to look no further really than the endless list of DUP scandals, including RHI, their language surrounding ethnic minorities in the North, um, even to the childish behaviour of Arlene Foster in refusing to shut down the six counties in conjunction with 26, in which I suppose recently this has been highlighted is the case of abortion. 
when in 2015 it was ruled that the NA legislation on abortion was against human rights. Even when Westminster legislated for abortion in the six counties, the DUP still see fit to hold the state ransom, even with their vote only representing less than 12% of the population, they still wanted to stay a devolved issue. Um, In the case of, say, education, primary schools here are based on community affiliation and the churches still have a massive influence on them. And this only deepens the the already deep sectarian division here. Second level education then is based upon academic selection and social class, meaning so many children are left uneducated throughout their lives. Schools in the South or in the 26 counties are not based on academic selection, but rather the idea they run um, entrance tests. The North often looks to Westminster for advice when in reality they should be looking to 26 counties to create an All-Ireland education system, leaving a fair chance for people to attend university in their own country rather than having to go to England, maybe stay there and the likes of teachers, nurses, the workforce, there's a brain drain from from Ireland um, and even to the shortage of the workers in the North, that market was temporarily being filled there by migrant workers, but with COVID and Brexit, um, many many have left. Um, I suppose with the, the lack of democracy comes a lack of control in our daily lives here living in the six counties and it is felt by all across the political spectrum. Um, for example, Westminster dictates our minimum wage when an English banker feels that he's able to implement a minimum wage across the whole of the UK from Kent to the Sandy Row. You know, that's not that's not acceptable. The, the current minimum wage is not good enough. There really need there needs to be a real living wage implemented in accordance with the area say you're living in. At the end of the day, Conor Murphy can decide where he wants to send the money, but he's still relying on what crumbs Rishi Sunak decides to feed him from his from his fancy table. Um Stormont sorry. It would appear then that the executive have lots of responsibility but no power. Exactly. Um, and I suppose Stormont they treat it, many of his members treat it as a part-time hobby when their their main interests lie in their own pockets. For example, their interests are in the toxic mining industry, private housing markets, etc. Right, okay. Well, um, just on that, when you talk about how, you know, the minimum wage in the north and what's, what not, but uh, Niall, I'm thinking about being on the periphery of um, the National Health Service or, or Northern, Northern Ireland or the north, being on the periphery of the UK National Health Service. Now, I trained in NHS at a time when the NHS was very well resourced. And I trained both in the north and in in London. Um, And the, the one observation that I made when I returned to Ireland was that um, the health services in England were much better resourced than the North's NHS. And I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, how, how, what do you, how do you think that impacts on the people? Well, yeah, thank you, Patricia. I mean, I'm, I'm minded to uh, to see, to, to note that, you know, it was only two years ago that we celebrated um, the centenary of the first Doyle and so many, so many things has happened since that, uh, just like back uh, 100 years ago. 
in the space of two years. Now, granted, we are in a pandemic, but it seems like we're um, across the board under this um, spell of groupthink that uh, the health services in the state that is in uh, exclusively due to a pandemic. Uh, Graham uh, mentioned earlier that the British ruling class have never committed a useless crime. Well, one of the major crimes that they've committed here in the north, albeit subtly, over the past number of years is the underfunding of our public services, our health services, our social housing, um, right across the board. And it's done in a very subtle way. It was done uh, for the past decade under the guise of austerity uh, in order to balance the books from the um, financial crash of the of 2008. Um, but it has been exposed I suppose more so during this pandemic, where we have two uh, jurisdictions here on one very small island, um, with a pandemic that has ripped through the whole island. And uh, going back to the formation uh, of partition, you know, you had the beginning of these two jurisdictions, which emerged post-partition. Uh, and they were uh, excessively dependent, really, on reactionary religious influences. You know, at worst, um, we can see through the various inquiries over the past few years, uh, this led to the horrors inflicted on women, for example, in the mother and baby homes uh, that existed uh, in both jurisdictions as well. Um, so, in, in the past number of years, what we're seeing here in the six counties, um, Kiva talked about the crumbs coming in, is that we have there are the political parties now in Stormont really concreted in, and this is a this is often uh, a, a thing that happens in, in colonial uh, situations where Sinn Féin have found themselves now in an administrative role in Stormont. They have got their fingers in there, in the position of power, and they have found themselves uh, in there where they don't think they can get out, uh, and they are fighting over the, the crumbs, as Kiva says, coming from London. They also have their eyes on the 26 counties in the south, where they want to, I suppose, become, appear to be a, a more constitutionally friendly party. Um, and many things about them is that they're not naive and, and they have seen um, language coming out of, of the main parties now in the past number of years where they can be a friend to business, uh, you know, and, and they can be a friend to the neoliberal economic system that, that exists both north and south. Um, um, yeah, go ahead now. Um, so I suppose looking at it, um, you know, now, a uh, hundred years on, and, and where we are um, post Brexit, which was very significant here on this small island, um, you have ourselves that we want to be a, a, an independent country. And now it seems that there has been a renewed uh, emphasis on, on um, membership of the European Union, uh, and there the will, the will be. Uh, voices both north and south would be purporting uh, would be promoting that um, but we what we would like to look at is 
um, when we're talking about um, the the, uh, the Ireland being united in the future is how is it going to happen? You know, what what role are we going to play when we see that our main political parties are inviting, uh, as Kiva says, the, these mining companies, international mining companies, saying Ireland is open for business, come in, come on in. Um, so before we even have our unity, we have the parties um, calling for unity immediately, uh, calling out for these uh, capitalist companies, yeah. these international, multinational companies to come in and take out the ground from underneath our feet. So when, when, as, that, as, the, as the conversation grows over the next number of years, what we want to do is, from our point of view, we want to um, steer, steer, the, um, steer the conversation in a way in which we have genuine unity, genuine uh, workers' republic, which was envisaged, envisaged uh, over 100 years ago. Yeah, and I, I must bring Graham back in because, you know, we're talking about health, Graham, and, and we have two different health systems, north and south. And, of course, some people in the 26 counties would say, oh, you are very fortunate to have such a well-resourced health service in the north, um, which is simply not the case. There was a time it was much better resourced, but it's simply not the case now. And I'm just wondering how you see the health system in the south and, and these sort of issues, you know, public services in the South. I mean, there's cuts everywhere. Could you explain a wee bit what's happening in the 26 counties? Yeah, sure. So, like, I mean, it's, it's, as far long as I can remember, there's been problems with the, the health service, um, particularly with the, the amount of investment given to it, um, you know, people waiting on, on trolleys, uh, people waiting to, you know, access outpatients, department and everything. There's the, the famous uh, example of the Healy Rays and Kerry um, providing bus services to take people up to, to Belfast, get their cataracts done and everything. Um, now, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think there's a lot more similarities with the, the NHS and the, in the, the six counties um, than there's made out to be. I don't think there is necessarily two massively divergent uh, healthcare systems. Um, one thing I would say is that the main reason for it is uh, uh, very uh, much in keeping with uh, what we talked about earlier, the, the interests of the, the 26 county establishment, which is uh, providing profit above the needs of uh, public health. And you just have to look at what's been going on there nearly two years to see a perfect example of that where almost every day there's someone on RTE or in the Irish Times or the Indo uh, from OIBEC, from the Vintners Association, one of the, the business um, representative bodies uh, talking about, uh, you know, why they need to remain open and everything. There shouldn't be any more lockdowns and everything. Uh, there's, there's never anybody on from a, a trade union or an actual worker in any of these industries who are going to be the first uh, to be infected with COVID and their families are going to be infected with COVID and are, you know, going to get substandard care in the hospital system when it goes through. That's not even to say anything about the, the mental health uh, crisis north and south, um, which is, uh, you know, another kettle of fish. But again, it all goes back to the same uh, same point, which is that um, 
people's health, like everything else, whether it be housing, uh, is another big one as well. Yeah, that's that's very important because it's also part of of a health care strategy, and. Um, you know, we've been calling for a, an All-Ireland health uh, care system, an All-Ireland NHS, and maybe Niall, because you have been pretty active in that campaign, maybe you would like to explain how do you think we can achieve this? How do we bring this about? And what sort of things do we need to look at for an All-Ireland uh, NHS, free at the point of entry, of course? Well, um, you know, out of this crisis that we're in at the minute, there is opportunity and we, we can, from our point of view, um, point to the inadequacies within our health service at the minute. Uh, Graham's talking about um, every day there's a, a story about this and that. There's, a sto- there's stories here and we've seen it ourselves. You don't have to go too far. People waiting in ambulances and um, not being admitted to hospital. Uh, people waiting um, up to 45 minutes over an hour um, to get an ambulance even to come to their house in and around the border counties uh, around Straban, Letterkenny um, ambulances are constantly um, going across the border uh, as, as needs uh, must uh, but one of the things that pr- proponents of the, of the union of the, of the great union between uh, Northern Ireland and Britain always hit uh, the, beat the drum of the NHS the NHS is destroyed here uh, in in the north in the six counties and it has been slowly being destroyed by countless um, British governments um, over the past number of decades. Um, The NHS has come about um, uh, from the working class uh, come together to form the NHS. If we're we're talking about an Ireland that we want to build in the future, we need to have an all-Ireland health service um, brought together by the working class for the working class and paid for by the working class. Remember, uh, our taxes pay for the National Health Service and have done uh, over the, 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 the decades. And those that need it now most, which are, are uh, elderly within society, are not being given the care that they uh, are required. Our health, our um, nursing homes here in the north are all privatised. Um, my wife worked in a nursing home a number of years ago. Um, as a registered nurse, the pay, I suppose, was okay for her, but she couldn't um, work there any longer because everything was scrutinised. The managers were on bonuses for giving, for hitting certain budget targets every year. That's what you get when you uh, privatise the health uh, care home system for our elderly. Um, and it has been uh, completely uh, exposed within the past number of years during this pandemic. This is this is a wake-up call for the working class here, both north and south, in order to create this um, this all Ireland health service. Because the one thing that has remained constant uh, throughout the past hundred years, and indeed uh, for many many years prior, is that uh, a divided working class will always achieve very little. Um, but those who will abandon class struggle in the pursuit of political power will will always hold on to that power as long as they can for the benefit of the few. There will be much analysis done over this past couple of years, over this past decade, over the past hundred years. 
uh, we must come together and, and put as a as a class put that uh, position forward um, for the Ireland that we seek in the future. Well, yeah, indeed, Niall, and, and you spoke there about care of the elderly, and, and indeed, you know, there's been many reports of a, a, of an increase of abuse in care homes, and, uh, and that brings me to think about the abuse of, of the the mothers and babies in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, in the mother and babies' homes. And I'm just wondering, Kevin, and you cross the border every day to go to work, and um, but I'm just wondering, do you see a difference in the two jurisdictions? And would you like to say something about that? To me, that, that the abuse of, of mothers and babies was one of the most pertinent things in the carnival of reaction. So I'm just wondering, Kiva, if you would like to say something about that. Um, yes, Patricia. So I live in Tyrone, but I work in Monaghan. And I suppose the biggest difference I notice is in the healthcare system. Um, in the north, it is impossible to get an appointment for anything that you need, doctors, dentists, anything. Whereas you can go to the 26 counties and pay for a dental appointment or a doctor's appointment and get it within two or three hours. Now, I'm in a situation that I'm on a wage. I can afford to go to a doctor or a dentist if I have to, but to see the elderly people without, even people without a vehicle that can't travel to get a doctor or a dentist appointment, um, it's it's disgusting. And as you mentioned, the likes of the mothers and the baby homes, um, it, it, there's just no words for the the utter disrespect and the horrific treatment that them people um, went through on a on a daily basis. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. But as as an, as somebody in the north uh, working in the south, healthcare would be the biggest the biggest difference that I noticed. And education. I was educated myself in the north. I now teach in the south, and to see the children being put through the pressures of at 11 years of age being made to decide what secondary school they're going to go to and as a result of that secondary school that they go to maybe determines their future career whereas um, in a lot of schools in the 26 counties they'll do an entrance exam and it will decide whether the child is best off in a comprehensive school or a grammar school um, to best suit their needs and their abilities and their to fulfil their potential. Yes indeed. Um, well it, se- it seems like they're there needs to be a lot of change and we have identified issues that really need to change and, and one of them is um, health and education. Graham, h- how do you see, how do you envisage that we can change this? I suppose I, I don't exactly have a, a, a blueprint, I wish I did, but um, we think, to speak generally, we have to look at the, the nature of the, the system itself. I don't think you're going to see, uh, and it is one of the, the big questions about, you know, Irish unity and everything, you know, is a, is a, you know, is a capitalist United Ireland worth um, crossing the road for, really, you know? Um, like, in my opinion, I think any sort of change in... Uh, the, the constitution or you know whether it's a unitary state or whatever I think absolutely there has to be um, mobilisation from people themselves 
to try and determine what uh, state that actually is in the end result. Um, I think we have to look at what they're talking about. Their version of a united Ireland is going to be negotiated in backroom deals and you know secret handshakes. Errors has to come from uh, you know going out to our people and actually organising that it is um, towards Leo Mellows. You know the Irish Republic would be the People's Republic. I think we need to keep in that understanding uh, that we can't reform or tinker with a system um, that, when it comes down to it, is as alien to the Irish way of life as it is to the way of life of, of people around the world. Um, that you can't have a united Ireland or an independent or a sovereign Ireland uh, where you have exploitation of people uh, enshrined into the basis of the system, that you have to look at the nature of uh, the system itself and you have to, to change that now that's that's easier said than done of course but you know um, you have to make a start somewhere well indeed and, and of course uh, the government in the 26 counties and, and the opposition are cozying up to uh, people well known imperialists from Europe and America and uh, you know I'm just wondering, Kiva, would you like to say something about that? How would you envisage that we change the situation, the dire situation, north and south, the, the century of reaction to partition? Well, I suppose the only thing that can be done is to form a socialist state, that the government would be representative of all the people in the 32 counties and that the government members would have to uphold high standards, no double job and no backroom deals, and that their jobs are at the discretion of the people that they represent. And if they're not doing the job that the people have elected them to do, that they no longer hold that job, they no longer represent the people. Um, yes. so, you know, socialism is the future and it's only right that we do start now Right, and what, what Niall, what do you say to the people who say, but your socialism doesn't work Yeah, well, the system that we have certainly work. doesn't work at the minute um, yeah. and uh, as I say great things can be achieved when the working class come together and that's what we're talking about we're talking about working class unity and a, and a workers republic uh, a democratic system for workers, um, and we we need to be mindful when we when we talk about uh, unity. Um, you know, it's often uh, when we're talking about unity without defining unity is somewhat akin to an architect um, who is talking about design without a reference to a building. Um, when we see the um, when we see the political leaders. Uh, the Irish political leaders going to Washington on the 17th of March with a, a bowl of shamrocks. Um, we must be mindful of who, of, of, of where those allies are, what those allies are doing on an international basis. The imperialists, the imperialists would unite Ireland tomorrow if it was in their interests. Um, and as, as I say, the, the main political parties are not naive. They, they will go to where they will get support for what they want. And if United, if Ireland is united tomorrow, don't get me wrong, we must immediately, in my opinion, break away from Westminster. We, we have never been able to thrive as an island uh, as long as Westminster has its fingers within this island. But having said that, when we're, when we're talking about unity going forward, we need to, we need to define 
clearly what uh, what island we want. Uh, do we want to be an island alone? Do we want to be uh, independent from Brussels, independent from Westminster, independent from the states? By all means, we can do business with everyone, but we need to we need to uh, put out a blueprint as to we, of what we as workers uh, want from from an all island 32 country workers republic, uh, not away from European Union, away from uh, British Union. We need to start having the trade union. Uh, we need to talk about workers' rights, uh, wages, homes for all, uh, and, and, and education, health. All those things must be at the forefront of any democratic nation that we want to build for ourselves. Yeah, and when I mentioned earlier that I have memory of, of better resourced health services, um, trade unions were very strong in those health services and they held they held uh, those who were running the health services to account. Um, I would like to see a day that we can see those days again where we have a resource, you know, resource public services with trade unions to hold those who are running them to account. Uh, we have much to do, but we, I mean, people are out there and they're making noises and they're objecting to the way things are at the moment. Kiva, how confident would you be of uh, achieving our goals for a better island? I feel that the views that I hold are felt by a majority of people my age currently and I have full confidence that it can be implemented in the 32 county socialist republic. The workers of the world, the workers of Tyrone, of Ireland, are fed up of the capitalist system and they deserve much, much more. Um, and I found a quote from Gassim Kanafi that I feel sums it up when he said that they steal your bread, then give you a crumb of it, then they demand you to thank them for their generosity. Oh, their audacity. Indeed, indeed. Graham, um, because we're running out of time, um, how confident are you that we can achieve our aspirations? Yeah, very confident. That's that's an easy one, Patricia. Um, right. But uh, just to say, it's not going to happen automatically. Um, I think Irish unity is coming, but uh, we need to start now in terms of building what that uh, united Ireland looks like. Fantastic. Um, Niall, same question to you. No, well, I'm always confident and, uh, you know, that we, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we weren't completely confident in, what we're, in, in, in the path that we've, we've set out for ourselves. As a, as a father, as a young child, I want to make a better society for her. Uh, and it's within our remit. And um, when, when we come together as a class, um, we can do great things. Um, you're talking about the trade union uh, being a part of the public services and holding those public services to account. One of the major problems we have at the minute is that a lot of these public services have been put out to private uh, ownership, in which trade unions have little or less power and to do anything about. And uh, we need to take all these services back into public ownership, uh, publicly accountable, and publicly funded by the workers. And uh, that's that's the society that we're... I'm very confident in it. Uh, I'm very uh, hopeful for the future, personally speaking. Well, the chair is also very confident because uh, I do know that uh, any rights that we have were never given to us. They had to be fought for. I've heard many disillusioned people say, 
that young people don't care about politics, but this panel certainly shows that they're wrong. Thank you very much for participating in this discussion. Our thanks to Patricia, Kiva, Niall and Graham for that very interesting discussion. This series dealing with the century of reaction will continue in the weeks to come as we visit Cork to hear of the impact of the treaty and partition over the last century on the 26 counties, followed by a visit to Belfast to hear of the century of reaction and its impact on the six counties. And finally, we visit Dublin to discuss how we hope to build a new and better future in the days to come how we hope to build upon the vision of James Connolly as we put together the work to build a workers' republic. Thank you all for listening. This is the Paswell Social Security Forum, broadcasting in the